1: welcome irish fans to another edition of the irish breakdown podcast live edition this is our friday live mailbag and uh i I'm excited, Brian. I, I had a really good time with this last week. Uh, we had such good questions, and mm-hmm. we had such good participation from the viewers uh, that I, I'm really pumped up about this one. I'm wondering what they're going to bring us this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you felt about last week, but that was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, it was, and I took a little bit of a risk. I didn't really get a lot of or seek a lot of early questions, hoping that people would show up and ask questions. So we'll see if uh, if that pans out. But uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. And, and look. Uh, people asked last week, are we going to make this a normal thing? And our our goal and our plan is to, as long as people show up, listen, and want to ask yeah. questions, you know, that uh, we'll, we'll do it. So, yeah. and, you know, we may get to the point where we do it a little bit more than we're doing it now. So certainly our goal and our plan, and, and sometimes we'll go into it where we'll just open it up to questions. And sometimes we may start off with a topic and then allow people to ask questions about that topic. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we'll, 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 try to mix it up, keep it fresh, uh, you know, cause eventually when we get as many questions as we got last time we may run out of questions after a while so um yeah so yeah this is going to be fun and i'm looking forward to doing this and and you know i mean it, it's gone well enough so far that i you know we're already talking about you know doing post game show live post game shows and and after events things like that so it's uh you, you guys show up you guys listen and watch and you all ask
1: questions and we'll we'll be here to we'll be here to answer them as best as we can well, and, and we we got a few questions off the off the jump from uh, some of the social media platforms uh, you put out there that we're doing a mailbag and some people responded. And so we'll, we'll start with those. And yeah. then
2: if before if, we start with the questions, though, oh. Vince, I did want to talk a little bit about um, uh, obviously Pete Sampson yesterday from The Athletic reported that Kyle Hamilton had an ankle surgery, right? Uh, minor ankle surgery, and they said he's going to be limited in the spring. So if you guys want to ask about that, I had an article at Irishbreakdown.com today where I actually said, I talked about how I think that could actually be a blessing for Notre Dame. So uh, if anybody wants to ask questions about that, feel free. And then also if you have some recruiting questions, feel free to ask those too. But yeah. So I just wanted to kind of throw it out th- throw that out there in case anybody had not heard yet that he yeah. did have that. And um, that's obviously the, one of the newsworthy things that has happened in the last couple
1: of days. Okay, Brian, you know what? I'm going to kick this off with a question of my own for you based on the Kyle Hamilton stuff. Um, is Kyle Hamilton the most irreplaceable player on Notre Dame's roster? Ooh, I, and I'm throwing it. We did not discuss yeah, this. I'm throwing it at you. I want to see what's going on. I
2: would probably say yes. Uh, yeah. for a couple reasons. Number one, I think he's their I think he's gonna be their best overall player next year. Uh, I don't think that's to me really going to be a question. I, you know, if somebody is better than Kyle Hamilton next year, it means somebody has a major breakout because yeah. Kyle Hamilton's going to be good as long as he's healthy. And this injury seems like it was a, a minor thing; it was not a not a major issue, so it's not going to be a long term problem. So, I think obviously, when you lose, if you were to lose your best player. That would be a, a problem, but I think beyond that, the lack of depth at that position makes it even a bigger problem. you yeah, know and and exactly. so for like for like you look at like Kyron Williams, right like losing Kyron Williams would stink like that would hurt. but you you look and say, well, it's it's a position that's dependent upon the offensive line and it's and they've got other good players there, Chris Tyree, the incoming freshman, those kind of guys you know they they could they could be okay, sure. Uh, You you lose Michael Mayer, yeah, that would sting big time. But you've got Kevin Bauman, you've got Kane Barong, you've got George Takis. You know, you you feel like you'd be okay. After Kyle Hamilton, if Houston Griffiths steps up, he's the other starter at safety. And then who who steps into the mix? Yeah, You know, so uh, I think it's that combination of, yeah, he's excellent with the fact that I don't know who would replace him and I don't feel great about who would replace him makes right. him, I would say, yeah, he's their most irre- irreplaceable player next year.
1: Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're starting to get some questions here from uh, from the live listeners, viewers, viewers, right? Um, and we're going to start going with those. So, John A1, what is Jarrett Patterson's most natural position?
2: I mean, I think his most natural position is actually – you know, I think it's tackle. I still would say tackle. I think that his athleticism uh, in space is excellent. You know, we see it when he when he works in the screen game, when he works in the second level. Uh, he's very natural in space. He's got great feet. Uh, really, I, really, this is going to sound weird, but like really loose ankles, you know, and and that's important because tight ankles means you, you have really a hard time changing direction. He's a really loose guy. He can you know pick up twists and stunts i think he could play tackle in college at a very high level i don't yeah. know if i would say it's his best position if we're if we're projecting him to the to the nfl i don't think it's his best position uh, i think center guard probably but that could be determined by i don't know what his length is and that's going to be if he's got 33 plus inch arms then i i could see him playing tackle at the next level i just sure. i don't know if he has that kind of arm length um, you know, to 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 play in the edge. But I think athletically, I think he's a natural tackle. And the reason I've kind of pushed for him to play tackle or or to move somewhere else is I actually think that would be the best thing for improving his draft stock. You have a guy that's a center, and NFL teams look at him and say, you know, maybe we could play some guard, center guard, but you know, he's a center and we know he can play center. Allow him to go move at tackle and thrive at tackle, which I think he would do. Now NFL teams can say, hey, we don't we don't need to just look at him because we have a need at center. Uh you know, this is a guy that can play tackle, this is a guy that can play guard, this is a guy that can play at a high level at multiple positions. And I think that would be incredibly beneficial for him personally. And then of course, I do also believe it would help Notre Dame's offensive line because it allows him to move to a more premium position, but then also gives them the opportunity to get Zeke Corell into the lineup at a position where I think he his game is best suited.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I I love the versatility of Jared Patterson. I think that uh, that is what is going to benefit Notre Dame, and I agree with you in the fact that moving him to tackle is the best move for Notre Dame this year. Uh, because I'm very confident in what Zeke Carrell brings to the table at center, um, and and I'm Frank, I'm very confident in what Jarrett Patterson brings to the table at tackle. And you're right, if we're projecting into the NFL. I would probably have him as an interior guy as of right now. I just wanted, I, I'd
2: want to see his measurables. Like, I want to see don't, his arm length. That would be the right. big key for me. And, and I
1: don't have a year's worth of tackle film to look at either. I mean, right. if he excels at tackle, that just increases his, uh, his stock yeah, in the NFL. That's so, the point, Vince.
2: If he goes yeah. out to tackle, plays well, and then goes to the combine and measures in or the senior bowl measures in with like 33 and a half or 34 inch arms, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, you've got tackle length, you know, because, right. The New England Patriots drafted a guy a couple years ago out of out of Georgia that was six two, but he had really long arms. And so they they kept him at tackle. Right. So, you know, that's the thing is it's not so much the height. It's is it's the length and six four. He's got plenty of height to play the position. But again, you could be six six with stubby arms and you're not going to be a tackle. Uh, you could be 6'3 with really long arms and you could play tackle if you have the athleticism and the feel in on the – some guys are athletic enough to play tackle, but they don't have the, the – they're not comfortable in space. They're not sure. comfortable on an island, uh, which a tackle, especially in the NFL, you have to be on an island. You have right. to be able to go by yourself, block a yep. defensive end with a lot less help, and that's what we talked about in a previous show talking about the offensive line. Tackle is the hardest position to help, and if you have to help a tackle – because he can't handle playing there, it just disrupts your entire offense. Whereas center, it's much easier to protect a center. You have two guards. You can have, you can move the, you can move the pocket. You can do all types of different things to protect a center with a little bit greater ease than you can a tackle.
1: No, it makes a lot of sense. Let's move on to another question. This one from David Knight. And I I just love the way this one is worded. That's why I really want to get this one up here. But uh, after BK's evolution in 2016, is it me or does it seem like he's slipping back into pre-revolutionary war? So pre-2016. And that's the social studies teacher and me coming out. Um, But basically, is Kelly slipping back into the way he was before 2016?
2: I don't think he ever changed. I mean, I know there was all this talk about how he changed, but I, I was never told by any insider that I know that he'd actually changed. I think the big change was he hired better people. you know, And, and that's, to me, what a coach is supposed to do. I'm not, that's not a criticism of Brian Kelly, per se. Uh, Brian Kelly is who he is when it comes to he's just never going to be the coach that has a, a relationship with all the players and all the parents. That's just not who well, he is. Well, and, we and that's heard okay. that he's
1: coming in early to workouts and doing all that. Mean, is that. Look, I, that that's – I mean, for spring,
2: maybe that first spring. But, that look, that's fine. The players are going to see that. But, ultimately, that's not what matters. What matters is is do, do I feel like at any time I can go up to my – I mean, I, I've had conversation with players who have left the program and said I literally never had a conversation with Brian Kelly that was more than high by. But that's okay. I I, I don't think the head coach necessarily has to have that kind of bond with his entire team, as long as you give your assistants and your coordinators the sort of power to have that kind of connection. And some coaches want that. Some coaches say, I want to purposely be distant because I want them depending on you. I want them to feel sure. that they need to go to you to have those connections and those relationships. And so uh, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think my issue with Brian Kelly back in 26 pre 2016, because Vince, you remember, I was trying to sound a warning on, on the program during the 2015 season. And they Oh, they, all, they were this many plays away from being undefeated. And I'm like, there's some serious falls in this program. And when they don't have Jalen Smith and they don't have Will Fuller and they don't have these guys, they're going to get exposed. And that's what happened. I was complaining about the strength program. I was complaining about the defense. There was a lot of holes in the program that Brian Kelly wasn't addressing because he wasn't around enough and didn't have his finger on the pulse, which he says he's going to do enough to really address them. After 2016, he made great hires. He went out and got Matt Bayless to run the strength program. He went and got Chip Long. He went out and got um, Mike Elko and then who brought in Clark Lee. And then he promoted Clark Lee. Uh, So he's made some really strong hires in that regard. And I'm not one of those people who says I've heard critics, people that don't like Brian. Well, he's only one because he hired coaches. Well, yeah, that's kind of part of a head coach's job. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, yeah.
2: <laughs> you'll say, oh, Urban only won because he hired Ryan Day and you know okay. Tom Herman. Yeah, because he's a smart coach who hired really great coaches. That's called, that's kind of part of your job. Uh so, so kudos to him for doing that. And then look, going out and getting Marcus Freeman to run the defense. That was a great job by Brian Huge. Kelly and all the people yeah. involved in that, that, that type of deal. Cause he can't do it by himself. I mean, right. He needs people to be able to back him financially and those kind of things, give him the tools to go out and do it. And so, uh, you know, I, but he hasn't changed a whole lot. And, and my concern is, is that in the areas where he is heavily involved, he is not allowing the necessary evolution in, within the program that needs to happen. I think defensively, Brian Kelly sort of backed off and said, I'm going to go hire an outsider. And, and the, the control of the defense has been in outsider hands ever since, really. You know, because Clark Lee was technically an outsider; he was not someone that. I mean, he'd worked for Brian Kelly for a year when he got the record right. made up, uh, and and the defense has thrived because Brian Kelly has set the agenda. This is my expectation for you. Now go do it. And the defensive coaches have lived up to the expectations. Now he needs to do the same thing for the offense as we talked about before. So uh, those things are a little bit concerning, but I also feel like they're just a couple moves away. Uh, you know from from taking that next step and and that is the key cuz you know like I'm hard on Brian Kelly I get that and that bothers some people but I'm hard on him because the expectation at Notre Dame is you compete for championships yeah and you don't make excuses for I don't get there but the fact that he's making excuses for not beating the great teams is because he's got them to the point where that's all that's left and he deserves a great deal of credit for that but at the same time we can we can praise him for that But then hold them accountable for, okay, but there's still a couple steps you've got to take as the head coach to come up the hump. And that's the exciting thing about covering this team is because it's like, man, if he just does this, this team's got a chance to go. But that's also kind of what makes it frustrating because they are so
1: close. we got a couple of depth questions Mm -hmm. uh, that I want to get to here. First one from Cole. Uh, Do you think Tariq Bracey will get passed over as the second cornerback? I don't. I.
2: I can't. I have no clue, Cole. I wish I had an answer for that. I think if, if Tariq Bracy shows up and is the Tariq Bracy of old, then no, he won't get passed over. He'll play and he'll be a, a key artist because because Marcus Freeman likes to play a lot of man coverage, and Tariq Bracy is probably, from what we've seen, when he's on his game, he's their best man cover defender. And, and we've seen him go against some really good wideouts. I remember in 2018 when they played Florida State and Tariq got really his second most extensive action of the season besides the pick game when he was brilliant. And they kept going at him and he kept blanketing the Florida State receivers. Uh, Georgia in 2019, he was excellent in that game. But then we've seen him with the downs. You know, Virginia, he was down. And so that consistency is just going to be the key for him. Yeah. But if, if he gets his confidence back, That's then no, thing. he won't get passed over. If he's still doubting himself, then there's enough talent now at cornerback to to pass him over. I mean, you look, you, when you're bringing in Philip Riley and you're bringing in Ryan Barnes and Jojo Johnson and Clarence Lewis, um, excuse me, um, Chance Tucker – and you've got Clarence Lewis coming back. You've got a guy like Ramon Henderson, who's got a lot of tools. You've got KJ Wallace, who you could move back the corner. You moved him to safety last year because you needed depth at safety. The point being, there's a lot of athletes at that position. You can't afford to continue to throw a guy out there that doesn't have the confidence sure. to thrive at the position. So I, I don't think he's going to get a necessarily long, you know, go at this to improve himself. But I, I think if the coaches are smart and I think Mike Mickens is really smart and a really good coach, he understands how important Tariq Bracey can be to this defense. I think they're gonna do what they need to do to try to get him there. But at the end of the day, you can't give someone confidence. They need to they need to have it. And at the end of the day, it's gonna be up to Tariq to get it done. And if he does, he's gonna be a bounce. He's kind of my not my pick, but my my hope. That when yeah. we talk at the end of the 2021 season, that he's the guy we're talking, picking in our superlatives as the bounce back player. Because if he bounces back, it changes the defense completely, completely changes. the defense, No doubt.
1: I, I love Tariq Bracey. And I and I realize that he's probably not on the, the best side of a lot of fans because of what, you know, happened towards the end of the season. I it's get understandable. It. Not I bad. Totally yeah, get I get it. I get it um but I love that kid man I love what he brings to the table and I mean you outlined where he was good and where he was bad I mean we don't have to rehash that but from from a personal standpoint I really hope he gets it together Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, you know not only for himself but then if he does get it together like you said this defense could go to a whole other level because I I really do believe that he is the best cover corner on this team um and if he's good then you; those other guys can marinate just a yeah. little bit longer. They don't have to have the pressure. You're not bringing in a guy who has no experience yeah. to be the number two corner. I mean, it, you know, you're asking Clarence Lewis who, to be the number one, mm-hmm. which is what I'm assuming um, the Cole was, assu- you know, figuring there. Right. Um, and then you're going to have somebody with no experience whatsoever as your second corner. Mm-hmm. So if Tariq Bracy is back to himself, yeah. you're allowing those guys to play but not with the pressure that they would have had to play with.
2: couple things uh, about this. So, number one is I've done some digging on this. Notre Dame will still be a field boundary corner situation. However, right. they're going to be a lot more flexible to go left-right if teams push tempo. So, like, against USC, they'll probably go left-right. You know, against – Teams that want to, when they play Wake Forest, they'll be left right. So they're gonna, there's going to be more flexibility there. So there still we will be a field boundary component to this defense. Right. So that's one thing to consider and understand about what they're going to do because I that was a question mark because you couldn't tell at Cincinnati because they play so many tempo teams. I mean they they have to go right left almost every week because most of the teams in the AAC are push the tempo team. So. Uh, but at the heart, if they're playing base teams or teams go normal tempo, uh, they will be left to right. So, or I mean, uh, excuse me, they'll be boundary field. So so that helps Tariq too because then Notre Dame doesn't play as many up-tempo teams as, as Cincinnati did. So there'll be more opportunities to kind of go field boundary, which you want Tariq playing the field, number one, because of his cover ability. Number two is size. You don't want sure. him playing the boundary uh, all, all day long. The other part of it too, Vince, is – you know, when, when you watch the Alabama game and you go back and you watch, you say, boy, I wish Tariq was, did not have his mental collapse because he's the one guy athletically that can run with the Bama receivers. Sure. And and especially like Mechie. You know, I mean, a lot of people have a hard time running with Devontae Smith, not just because of his athleticism, but his great route running. But I'm more looking at those number two guys because the the thing about having a guy like Tariq Bracey is if if he's able to say, hey, if he's – if he's at his best, you say, Hey, go cover that guy. And then now you can not only put your, your second and third, your third and fourth corners at different positions, the nickel, those other things. But even beyond that, you can now say, Hey, they've got this big boundary receiver. So we're going to let, you know, we're going to use our safeties to go protect Clarence and the boundary against, you know, this big stud receiver that we're facing against, or you can then use your safeties to move around knowing that you have confidence that Tariq Brace can go out and cover that guy You don't have to protect him over top as much as you may a true freshman. But I will also say this, Vince, and we'll move on. Cornerback is one position on defense that I'm more comfortable with a freshman playing because it is so much more about just are you physically good enough? Do you have the confidence to, to go play?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: It's kind of like running back for me in that it's just a position that because you don't need to be a year in the weight room and those kind of things. You, you either have the physical tools yeah. to do it or you don't. Yeah, you're right. And however quickly you pick up the defense, you can go play. So that's why it's a position where I'm more comfortable plugging a freshman in there than I would be like Prince Collie at linebacker or Gabriel Rubio at defensive tackle because there's more of a physicality component to those positions then there is corner and, and corner isn't like safety where you have to have so much more understanding. It's like, Hey, you see that guy, go cover him. Here's your technique. Go right. cover him. It's right? like backyard
1: football. It's like, not
2: that simple, but it, but, it you but know, it is metabolically you, it, it yeah. you get what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast.
1: A couple more, uh, you know, depth chart type questions. And we had this one. From multiple people, uh, mm-hmm. but David is actually the one that wrote it down live. We had one from a uh, you know one of the pre questions. But uh, does Litchfield Ajavon ever play, or is he going to ride the pine? <laughs> so.
2: David's killing it today with his uh, the boldness of his questions. I love it. That's going to this spring's going to determine that David. I mean, it, it, look, part of the part of the thing is with Litchfield is. I've heard some good things from different sources about how he's done in practice. Uh, he's small. That's a knock on him. Uh, yeah. And safety, I think, is a is a it's a little bit more problematic there because you can find yourself matched up with tight ends and and some bigger players at times, and it it, it influences your range a little bit when you're an undersized uh, safety. But I've heard he's instinctive and he's a, he's a good player. He just hasn't played, so it's kind of like there's this disconnect between what I hear about what he can do, but then it's like, well, if he can do that, then why is he not at least playing special teams? And I only he played like 20 special team snaps this year. So that's kind of a question mark, but look, this spring is going to determine that because there's a need, right? They want to play three safeties. That's what Marcus Freeman has always done. And right now, they're looking at who can be the third linebacker, who can be the third corner that we can play there because there's not a great deal of confidence in the safety position right now. With Kyle Hamilton limited, if he is limited in the spring, which is what the Pete, Pete reported, mm-hmm. There's an opportunity for these safeties to step into the lineup Absolutely. and get extra reps. And yep. so the first person this pla- impacts is Houston Griffith, right? Because now when Kyle's out, Houston has to now be the leader, he has to be the communicator, and he has to be the playmaker. And so that's the opportunity Houston's been dying for, right? I love well, now it. he's going to get it. I love and it. And so it's sink or swim, right? right? You're throwing him to the deep end and saying sink or swim, you know? Yep um and uh and so that that could really help him develop and and kind of help him come along but then after that who's that's that third safety going to be who's that fourth safety going to be right right and so obviously dj brown will get a shot at that but this is an opportunity for litchfield and justin walters who's the early enrollee freshman to kind of step in and play for kj wallace if they decide to keep him at safety which i'm still i think he's going to be a bit of a swing guy there's going to be extra reps at times this spring for those guys to show themselves so that's why I say in a lot of ways Kyle Hamilton kind of having an, an ankle injury that's not severe because it's never a blessing to have a severe injury. It's a right. blessing because, A, it's not a severe injury, and, B, uh, because this presents a, a position where you needed to get guys experience and opportunities and to test them. What can you do? Exactly. Do we need to go get Kerry G, or do we need to move Philip Riley, or do we need to do something else? But you know you're going to get your shot now in the spring to go prove yourself, and yeah, it's going to be up to you. And that's the exciting part. So if if Litchfield has not made a move by the end of the spring, then then he's going to get passed by pretty quickly. If if so, again, ask me that question again at the end of spring after I've been able to do some digging. Right now, it's hard for me to say because we've never seen him really do anything in a, in a Notre Dame uniform besides run down on a couple on a couple special teams coverage units situations.
1: Of all the positions where – and, again, you don't wish for injuries. But of all the positions where I want more reps for depth, it's that safety position. I mean, because we just don't – On defense, yeah. On defense. We just don't know what that depth chart is going to look like and the numbers and if they're going to move anybody there and all of that. And having – look, Kyle Hamilton is Kyle Hamilton. He's going to be able to, you know, enter fall camp and he'll be fine. He doesn't necessarily need the spring reps. Now, he can always Mm -hmm. get better. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, but he can get his mental reps in the spring. That's
2: the big thing for Kyle. Yeah, and I almost right. think that might be better for him.
1: Yeah, because he he's such
2: a that. and he's such a smart, heady player. Yes, I feel like having him back by the safeties coach or by the D coordinator and seeing the game from their yes. standpoint because he can't take reps would be such a good thing. Because I think he would just soak that in. Like Kyle Hamilton's the kind of guy that he's going to go to the NFL, play a long time, and he's either going to run a company and make millions of dollars, or he's going to decide to be a coach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause he's just such a smart kid, but you know, he, I could see him being a guy that down the road would be a, a, a coordinator. Cause he's just got, he's just the game's so natural to him. He just, un, he, you, you, you meet those guys, Vince, like whatever it is that the game's just natural to them. They just yep. it, it just grasps it, grasps it. It's a subject that they just grasp easily. That's yep. how Kyle Hamilton is, which is why you rarely see him make the same mistake twice. Yep. And so I think there might be some benefit to him as well by being on the back end and saying, hey, let me not worry about playing or communicating. Let me see it through the coach's eyes. And man, I think that could help him become a better player. So there's oh, really no ne- yeah. as long as he gets healthy to me, there's no negative to him being limited in the spring.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, you you see uh you see kids that you coach and you talk to them. And I had a kid that I coached as a freshman, he was 14 years old, and I was like, this kid's gonna be a coach. Like mm-hmm. you could just you can just tell. And he ended up being the quarterback of our team, et cetera, et cetera. And now he's coaching down at Cathedral, uh, down in in the Indianapolis area. And uh he's a heck of a coach and he's a heck of a good kid. And and but you can just tell that was his path. You know what I mean? And it's the same situation. It's like you can tell guys who have it you know mm-hmm. when, whether it's understanding of the game how to explain the game to others you know all of that you can tell and and i from from what you're gathering uh or what i'm gathering from you that's kyle hamilton and, Absolutely. and you know it, it's fun to play with those guys man it i it's it's fun especially when out they're
2: freaky at and they're 60. 6'4 250 <laughs> pounds that can run
1: yeah, exactly <laughs> well speaking of athletic uh i've got another uh depth question here for you from john does Nana Safa Mensa have a shot to play with Ovi transferring? And he was a big name coming in mm-hmm. when he was recruited. Uh, he he will have a, an
2: opportunity to crack the lineup this year, but it won't have anything to do with Ovi leaving. He is actually a strong side end. So he's wrong, that big end side, that they yeah. talk about. Ovi was more of the viper drop player. Uh, so right now, I I don't think that there's a – Right now, they're going to move Myra Tungvaloa most of the strong side end, which we've reported at Irish Breakdown in the past. And then, obviously, Justin Adamiola is the guy that the staff has a great deal of confidence being part of that one-two punch. So I, I think Nana is going to have a tough time cracking the, the two deep this year. Now, maybe he plays so well that they're saying, hey, we got to carve out five, ten reps for him. Maybe we can yeah. get him in some goal lines or something like that. Or if somebody goes down. But uh, that that's going to be a tough thing for him. It's And it's not necessarily because he can't play. It's just a really talented depth chart. I mean, he he's trying to beat out some guys that are really good football players and older than him too. That's the other thing. It's not like he's been passed up by someone younger than him.
1: It's just a deep it's just a deep right. pitching.
2: And then the the injury he suffered last year in fall camp kind of set back his development to where now he's even further behind, but essentially the the COVID year benefited him greatly because he didn't technically lose a year of eligibility, so he can go into 2021 still technically being a redshirt freshman meaning if they like him enough to want to bring him back he'll have extra seasons but he's going to have to start proving himself here pretty soon because with Jason Onye on campus with Alexander Aaronsberger now going into year two uh, they just you know with Tyson Ford committed there's going to be some really good young players that are going to be pushing him so this is going to even though it may not show it in 2021, this is going to be a big year for him. Because what you do as coaches is you start to look at your young players and say, okay, who's looks like they're progressing? Who sure. looks like a guy that maybe it's not this year because of our depth, but the year after we can count on? And, and who's not? Because the guys that are not, you start really looking to, okay, we're going to have to over-recruit them. It doesn't mean you bring in good players because you always do that, but you may bring in an extra guy at that position – numbers-wise that you wouldn't have otherwise because you don't feel you can count on this guy. So it's a big offseason for Nana to, to show that, hey, even if I can't crack the lineup a lot this year, I'm ready to play when I can. But then going into 2022, that spring, with when Myron's gone, and this is my chance to shine and, and really force my way on the field. So it is a big opportunity for him, but I don't see that necessarily coming this season, and it won't be because of ov transferring.
1: So we've got uh, a lot of young guy questions and a lot of recruiting questions. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get a young guy question in, and then I'm going to put some recruiting questions together. So going a little out of order here from the way that they're coming in. Maddie K, double nickel. That's what I'm going with for 55, double nickel. Is there any chance young guys like Tosh Baker, Blake Fisher, or Christophic get some uh, some time, or do you think Kelly will rely on veterans?
2: Well, at least one of those guys is going to have to play because they don't have enough veterans to field an offensive line. I mean, you know, Andrew Christovic especially is now going into a situation where he, he kind of is a veteran now. You know, I he's going he to be there. a he's going to be a junior this year, redshirt sophomore, but, you know, third year in the program. He's now one of the more experienced players that they yeah. have as far as years in the program. So um, I from what I've been told, there's going to be competition at every position that Jarrett Patterson's not playing and, (laughs) you know, and, and, uh, you know, Josh Lug too. But you know, what I mean by that is Josh Lug's going to start this year, barring injury depends on where, where, right. So there, there (laughs) may be some, yeah. Like let's say he starts at right tackle, right. To start the spring and Andrew Christophe just has a great first two weeks of spring that may result in them saying, hey, well, let's move one of them to guard and give that guy a shot to compete there. You, right. So there will be competition everywhere that, that, that Jared Patterson's not playing as far as competition for a starting position. So um, I, I, di- I absolutely think Blake Fisher will get an opportunity. Will it be harder for him and Rocco Spindler's another guy that I wouldn't would have thrown in there? Yeah, it'll probably be a little harder for them because they're freshmen. But every freshman that we've seen get legitimate playing time, and there's really only been two. Is Steve Elmer and, and Robert Hainsey were both early enrollees and I think that that Blake comes in with the a- advantage of he's more physically ready to play they put a picture of him out on Twitter the other day in his uniform I think that probably shows better than in, than anything we've said in the past of he's not fat he's <laughs> right. just huge right like Quentin Nelson's like 335 340 pounds but he's not fat he's just big Big head, broad shoulders, big hands, big feet, big everything, and that's kind of how Blake is. He's 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 worked hard to reshape his body. Now, does he still have some baby fat on him? Sure, but he's not like this big kid. To we got thirty pounds off that kid, you know. Like like Lewis Nix was when he got here as a freshman. Yeah. Like he he needed to get a lot of weight off. That's not Blake Fisher. So d- will he have a chance to a, a play? I think so. I think Rocco Spindler will if they have big springs. And there's going to be the rep opportunities, especially if Jarrett Patterson's limited in the spring. There's going to be – then there's – now there's a lot more opportunities. So um, Tosh Baker's another one. I, I got my – I think he still might be a year away physically. You watched him play against Syracuse, and he's still a skinny, skinny kid. But tons of tons of upside, tons of tools. Uh, so, yeah, I think some of those young guys are going to get a chance to compete. Uh, there's not a lot of confidence in some of the veterans – um, you know, that, that are right now projected to kind of maybe start the spring at number one. There's not the level of confidence in them to just grab hold of a job and turn it down yeah. then, than maybe there has been in the past. I love that. So I think there's going to be a ton of competition. My only hope is, is that at least three or four guys seize hold of the starting jobs by the end of spring because you do not want to go into fall looking to still figure out what your five-man rotation is going to be on the offensive line. We saw right. that back in 2014 and it took that offensive line about half the season to finally figure out what was going on and then they had to move guys around they put Matt Hegarty in the lineup and had to move Nick Martin to guard and put they started Christian Lombard at, at I think they started him at guard and then Elmer tackle and then they had to flip him you just don't want to get yourself in that situation you want to have your line you want your quarterback to know here's your line yes now let's go with it That's exactly you know, right you can't force it but you hope that it happens sooner rather than later which is dependent upon players saying hey i'm the best guy why are yeah. we still messing around with this yes I- i'm the dude play me this is my job and th- that's what you always want as a coach but especially this year with the offensive line
1: all right you ready for a couple of recruiting questions
2: yeah for hey i see my guy sean davis is here so that's my guy we've i've been on a podcast with him sean thanks for being in the show my man i appreciate you appreciate you being here so yeah, just saw that him, he he jumped on in that's, that's my that's my dude right there yeah, he's on the show so yeah all right. All right. Let's keep going.
1: Samuel Ramirez. Guys, I love your work. Thank you, Samuel. We love you too. Uh, I have two recruiting questions. The first one is if uh DJ Wesolak, I'm probably gonna butcher his name, commits. It will uh what will it mean for Cyrus Moss? Is he off the board? And also if ND gets Taylor and Scrouth, uh do you I think consider- that's Shrouth. Shrouth? Yeah, so that'd be that'd be Jake
2: that, Taylor, the offensive lineman from Nevada, and Billy Shrouth, who is a I believe thanks. that's how you say his last name, who's a offensive lineman from Wisconsin. Okay, um, let me take the first one. Uh, that would be uh, DJ Wesolak is a defensive end from St. Louis, uh, very talented player, six five, about two thirty. Um, there's been some some crystal balls floating around about him picking Notre Dame. I don't know if that's something that'll happen soon. I don't know if that's something that Notre Dame is necessarily pushing to happen right now. I think they're still recruiting a lot of top ends. I. I have to think that they would be smart enough to to still keep Cyrus Moss an option. Uh, from everything I've heard, Cyrus Moss likes Notre Dame a lot. I don't think it's in a situation where he's going to commit tomorrow. Uh, be nice if he did. He's a yeah. game changer, in my opinion. But yeah, totally. so I, I think one of two things happens: is one is they don't necessarily push for that third defensive end commitment, or if they do, they are still going to take Cyrus Moss and, and talk to him about. Look, you have some flexibility. You can play some some weak side linebacker. You can play some viper end. You just – he's the kind of guy, Vince, that you, you always make room for. And
1: that's what I was going to say. He, he's the kind of recruit that even if your your position is closed right, and he commits, mm-hmm. you're like, yep, yeah, we got a spot for you. Don't worry about it. And that's – I think that's where Cyrus Moss fits in he here. Has yeah, he, he has
2: to be. He has to be. You're yeah.
1: not going to return – you're not going to turn down – a commitment from Cyrus. Moss. But, but it also is
2: a thing where you have to make sure you still recruit him just as hard. Absolutely. That's the mistake that I think Notre Dame does at times at other positions is they meet their needs and then they stop recruiting the dudes. Go, oh, I wouldn't have room. You yeah. always make room. Always have room. And so they, they have to do it. So I would hope uh, that they would not move out on him. Now, as far as the offensive line, the question basically saying, I believe he's asking, uh, is if Notre Dame gets Jake Taylor, who's a, a tackle from Bishop Gorman. Same high school as, as Cyrus Moss, by the way. their teammates. Uh, Billy Shrouth, who I kind of view as a tackle guard kind of guy. Uh, would you consider the class to be elite with Joey Tanona and um, uh, Ty Chan? I would not consider that an elite class because I don't think any of those guys are elite players yet. Uh, I love Jake Taylor. You know that. I think right now Oklahoma is the team to beat. Uh, so, but Notre Dame is still still pushing. But I love Jake Taylor's upside. He's not ranked real high, but I don't care. I think his his talent is really really good. But he's kind of a little bit of a lower floor, high ceiling guy that's going to need a little bit of time. Um, love what Joey Tanona did as a junior at center. They moved him from tackle as a sophomore to set to junior uh, center as a junior, and I thought he was outstanding. So he's probably there, he'd be probably their best for on my board, the highest ranked guy coming out of high school of those four. But I think to have an elite line. You either need a fifth guy that's equal to those players or you need a stud. So you need a Zach Rice type of guy um, to be elite. Now, would that foursome be really good? Would it be one of the five to ten best lines in the country? Absolutely. But my concern with that group would be it's still half of it is probably guards or interior bodies. And I think that Notre Dame needs a third tackle body in this class, meaning a guy that could play tackle, because mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to move tackles to guard as Notre Dame has made a living with for yes. a decade. And I
1: love that strategy, right? By the way. I right,
2: I love it. Right, the, and it's lot to do that than to move a guy that's maybe a little bit more natural inside, move him out. It's just a little harder to do sure. that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
2: that's why I would say you would need um you would need it um. And I, I saw that that the the question about Weselak was asked it a, a couple times. Um, about that but yeah i hope that makes it clear i i don't know what the answer would be to that i have not gotten definitive word on that i'll try to figure that out this weekend and ask around but i just i'd have a hard time believing that notre dame would stop recruiting cyrus moss if they got a commitment from anybody he's just too good that would be a that would be a mistake in a position that they haven't made a lot
1: of mistakes at in recent seasons is it wrong that every time you say jake taylor i think of the movie major league
2: no, it's not wrong. It's actually brownie points that that's you do. All that. I think like,
1: about every time you say Jake Taylor, I'm like, he's the catcher for the Indians.
2: If there was like a corner <laughs> named Ricky Vaughn, would you like? Would you not think of the? Wild? Of course you would. So no, there's okay. nothing wrong. It makes you, look, you know, makes you probably some of these people. I'm like, what is he talking about? It makes you look old.
1: Well, oh, that's. But bad.
2: it doesn't. It's not
1: wrong. It's actually right. It's very okay. right. I like that. Okay, thank you. There's a reason that we get along. All right, uh, we got a great question here from uh, Joel Gallegos. Love the show, fellas. Do you foresee BK going with a two-back system with Williams and Tyree to spread out defenses? Both are dynamic, explosive with the ball in their hands. Can I start this, please?
2: Your dude, you're you're the MC of this, so you can say whatever you want.
1: I hope he does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, if if I've got two. Explosive backs, as you said, they're both explosive, they're both Mm -hmm. dynamic. How can you not have those guys on the field? My other job where I work at WSBT, one of our co hosts said, Well, you know, I said, I want to get Tyree on the field more. And they're like, Well, if you're going to take Kyron Williams off the field, then I don't want to do that. I said, Well, why do you you do? First of all, yes, you do. Yes, I have no problem with that. And besides, why do you have to take him off the field? Right? You can have both of those guys in the game. At the same time, if you want to run split backs, if you want to put one in the slot, I mean, there's a million different things you can do with both of those guys. And if you give Tyree more reps... And you give Kyron Williams a couple of less reps. That's okay too, because right. you're saving his legs as well for the entire. But you're also
2: season. giving the defense something else to de- yes. the game plan for. Absolutely. That's a, this this notion you don't know, that is a 1980s way of looking at it. And even back yeah. then, teams used multiple backs. You you cannot have a guy that plays 75 snaps on offense at running back. You just can't. He'll wear down, especially a guy Kyron Williams' size. But also from a sheer strategy standpoint. Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree have some carryover of their game, but they have different strengths. You always want to give defenses more to think about. Now, to answer Joel's question, don't know because they're not sharing that with us. I'm hopeful. I'm a little more hopeful that they're going to make that change than some of the other changes because we've seen it before. We've seen Brian Kelly use multiple backs before. When they started getting Jonas Gray and Sierra Wood rolling together in 2011, the offense looked really good. Yes. Uh, 2012, they used, they used three backs in 2012. Obviously, Theo was your guy, but then you'd use Sierra C- Wood in a way that I would hope that they would use Chris Tyree as a runner, sort of that you know C- Theo would pound you and then Sierra would kind of come in with that smooth running style and just gas you, like he did against Oklahoma. And then, of course, they'd bring in George Atkinson as sort of the the game breaker, so they would use three backs back then. So it's not uh, twenty fifteen. We didn't see it as much, but you know, a little different situation because those guys were freshmen. Josh Adams was a freshman, and and uh, but look, they moved they moved CJ Procyse to running back in the spring because they were going to use him and Torian Folsom together. Yes, so they weren't just going to have one of them play. They weren't moving CJ ProSize, who had like five hundred receiving yards the year before, as the starting slot to running back to just give touring a breather right yeah. they were going to use both of them so that is something that has been a part of what brian kelly's done so i'm optimistic that now that chris tyree is a sophomore that they will figure out more ways to do it so um so. Uh, you know and again i, 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 I have though If you're but, but we've seen that though that's the reason i'm a little bit more optimistic because we have seen that in 2010 we saw it you know yeah. they used they used right. uh, armando and robert hughes and and jonas a little bit so i mean we've seen them do that in the past, so it gives me a little bit more confidence. Now, how they'll do it remains to be seen. But we even saw little glimpses of it this year. They weren't afraid to put Kyron in the slot and let him run routes against safeties and corners because he can do it. And I think that's the that's the dynamic that that Kyron is really the reason it works. Yes, because he can it's be
1: that versatile.
2: Yeah, he can line up in the slot and run route. We've seen him smoke Kyle Hamilton his first spring on camp or uh, be his second or his first fall camp. When he when Kyle showed up, he was smoking Kyle Hamilton on corner routes. You know, yeah. now he'd do it once or twice, but then then it didn't work. Cause as I said, Kyle, you you <laughs> enjoy your early wins against Kyle Hamilton, because once you beat him once or twice, it's like, well, you're never gonna do that again.
1: Right. And
2: so um, but yes, yeah, so I think I, I that's one thing that I am actually cautiously optimistic about as far as being an adaptation or a change, because it's not a wholesale change. It's more of a let's do something we've yeah. done in the past because we yeah. have the depth to do so.
1: Scheme and philosophy. All right. Next question. All right. I like this one from Mule Skinner. I'm new to your channel, but thoroughly enjoyed, uh, thoroughly impressed by the content. Thank you, Mule. Tell your friends. Do you believe Liam Eichenberg is a plug-and-play NFL tackle? I know how you feel, Brian.
2: Absolutely. I was so excited I kept hitting the button twice and mute myself. <laughs> um, yeah, Mule, I absolutely think he is for a combination of reasons. Number one, he's a smart football player. Number two, he has a ton of experience. And I think he has the body and the strength where he can play as a rookie. I think Me sometimes too. you get these college guys that that come in and, and they're just not quite physically ready to, to maybe thrive at tackle or especially inside as rookies. But I think even more so nowadays at tackle because you're getting these powerful edge rushers and these speed guys that – I'm seeing so many speed guys in the NFL that have understood leverage and, and power to speed, where in the past some of these more athletic guys would just – I think Von Miller's a big reason for that because Von's an athletic speed rusher, but he uses speed to power as well as any speed rusher I've ever seen. And it's just changed the game where now you're seeing these tackles thinking, i got to worry about speed, 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 and then the guy just gets up in their chest, lifts them up, and knocks the tackle back. So you need to have some some power yeah. there and some as a blocker. And I think Liam has that. I think he's a strong guy. I think he's battle tested. He's gone against a lot of really good ta- ends the last success. couple of years. So, yeah. you know, is he a plug and play guy? Yes, I think he is. Now, are you going to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draft him in the top ten and expect him to play like a pro bowler year one? Pro- probably not. But I think he's a guy that could come in and handle the job as a rookie. My thing with Liam would be. I don't know if he's a guy that's going to come in and as a rookie and then just get steadily better and better and better and better. And then by year seven, he's like the best tackle in the league. I think he's going to kind of be what he is. Um, And that's what I think a lot of teams are looking for. And especially you get down deeper into the first round, those teams are sort of already established teams that are looking for that plug-and-play tackle. If I'm the Indianapolis Colts and I just was able to trade for Carson Wentz without giving up my first-round pick, I'm sitting there thinking, if I can get Liam Eikenberg in the 20s, you, you just now have a you now have the left side of your offensive line bookend for the next 10 years. And and it's going to be two high quality people with Quentin Nelson and, and Liam Eikenberg. Or if you're the Kansas City Chiefs and you've had to battle all your injuries and Eric Fisher's getting a little bit older, he's a guy that I could see coming in and, and playing tackle, although I know that they have Schwartz there as well. So yeah, Mule, I absolutely believe that Liam Eikenberg is a plug and play. NFL tackle and honestly I think he's more ready to be a successful NFL tackle than Mike McGlinchey was because Liam Meikenberg's primary strength in my view is pass blocking where Mike McGlinchey is a 10-year all pro if he'd have joined the NFL in the mid-90s yeah because he's a great run blocker that's not really the NFL anymore unless you play for the right couple of teams most teams are looking for a guy that can pass block yep. and handle edge rushers and Liam Eikenberg can do that and do it at a high level. I mean, think about it. He started 38 straight games. He's not given up a sack since the fifth game of his career. And it's not because, Lee, you know, Ian books avoided like seven sacks of his, he's just that good. Yeah, right. And, um, and, and, you know, he graded out by pro football focus, you know, and I'm not, as enthralled with pro football focus as others, but he did grade out with a better grade in 2020 than Ronnie Stanley had in 2015 and his pass blocking grade this past year was better than any Notre Dame tackle they've had. Uh, So yeah, he he's a plug and play guy.
1: All right. A depth question here for you, Brian from Griff. What have you heard about Jay Brunel? He's kind of the forgotten guy coming out of his recruiting class or the receiver class but it always seemed to me that he could be a rock-solid rotation guy and a steady player.
2: So Jay actually battled an illness early in his time at Notre Dame. It was not COVID. He just he had an illness and um, lost some weight and missed some development time. So that's why he was never in the conversation during the fall. But from what I've been told, he's healthy. He's, he was actually healthy during this – got healthy during the season. It wasn't like a long-term thing. Yeah. Um, got healthy during the season and, and there's some there's some excitement about what he can bring. He is exactly what Griff said. He's a he's a solid player. He's not gonna be a guy that's gonna, you know, average twenty-five yards a catch. He's not a Brayden Lindsay kind of player. He's a a possession receiver that that does has potential to be a very good route runner, very good ball skills, and he's a better athlete than I think a lot of people give him credit for because of where he's from. I mean, you don't think guys from the Northeast are necessarily gonna come in and and be athletic, but he's a quality athlete, you know, ran a four, four at Notre Dame's camp was the best receiver Notre Dame had at that camp, which is how he got it. They were not going to offer him. He was not a right. guy that was really on their radar to be offered. Um, but then he just came in and, and just impressed him athletically with his competitiveness. And, and he's a really confident kid too. So like, he doesn't care that he was a three-star, he, right? He, he's like, look, I can ball, I can play. And so he's going to be in that, that battle. But look right now, if, if, if everyone gets an opportunity it's going to be difficult cuz it's a deep position. It really is. I'm going to have an article coming up on this soon just like to answer Joel's question. I have I was hoping to get it done by next week, but I want to have a breakdown, a film breakdown of how Notre Dame can use two running backs. This is another one where I'm going to actually have some up very soon about Notre Dame is loaded at receiver, which means great competition, which means whoever emerges if it's genuine they're going to be- have a – they should have a really good receiving core next year, yes. and I'm excited about that. There's no talent excuses. We've had talked about this channel before. There's no talent excuse. There's no depth excuse. This should be a loaded group of receivers. And Jay Brunel is part of my confidence in that, where if Jordan Johnson doesn't pan out or gets hurt or whatever else, okay, g- g- give Jay a chance. See what he can right. do because he's got some skill.
1: Agreed. Uh, AJ – uh AJ says, I commented on a video earlier, which, by the way, we have that question. We were mm-hmm. going to talk about it, mm-hmm. so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, and I was to say uh, earlier, asking how you guys would feel about Scott Satterfield as a potential BK replacement in the future. Curious what you think I like him. And if I'm not mistaken, that question uh, that he had uh, as a comment on one of the videos was more like, you know what do we think is going to happen after Kelly leaves? What is the replacement? You know what do we think is going to happen? Basically, so uh, and he's offering up Scott Satterfield, and he wants your opinion. Hit it.
2: I like Scott Satterfield as a coach. I do. I think he did a really good job at at uh, at Louisville. I'm not concerned about his year two. I think that was just it was just a weird year, and and I I don't put a lot into what anybody did in 2020. I just kind of feel like it was just one of those. Strange years where the offseason really hurt them. I think going into year two of the program and missing the spring, I think hurt a program like Louisville with, with Scott Satterfield as a, as a second-year coach than it would maybe Brian Kelly going into year 11. So, I, But my concern, however, AJ, is I think some coaches are geographical fits. Uh, examples, Randy Edsel at UConn and Tom O'Brien at Boston College. I think we're both great fits for that region. That that type of kid that they can recruit there, the type of of just the, it, you, you kind of fit those areas. And then Tom O'Brien, who did some very good things at Boston College, goes to NC State, and I he was bad. Uh, Randy Edsel goes to Maryland, and you're like, did this guy? how did this guy ever get this job? He's a terrible. It was a fit thing. You have to be able to fit a place. It's like Pete Carroll's style that worked at USC would not have worked at Notre Dame. Agreed. You, you can't do the so. People have to understand. Not every job is the same. Jobs are different, and certain certain coaches are going to fit some jobs better than others. I don't think Scott Satterfield, being a Mid Atlantic guy through and through, who's having a tough time adjusting to Louisville. That, that's the reports, right? Like that he's was looking at the South Carolina job. He it's, there was reports he wanted the South Carolina job because he didn't feel like he fit in Louisville. If you're a Southern dude who doesn't can't fit in Louisville, you yeah. are not going to fit in South Bend, Indiana. That's a really good point. Um, so I, I just feel like the fit is is the 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 concern I have. I agree with your premise that he's a great coach. I, I think he's a really exciting young coach. I love what he did at Appalachian State. I think he's gonna do really good things at Louisville as long as he doesn't shoot himself in the foot by looking for a job every offseason, which is gonna kill his recruiting uh and and kill his ability to go hire the right kind of staff. Cause like, well, I don't want to come work for you if you're gonna leave in it, you know, if you're right. to leave. So he's going to have to show some buy in and he's going to have to make sure that he he does everything possible to not have his name be linked to jobs this offseason or just leave either way. Just take a job and leave. But that would be my thing with him. So great coach, a really good young coach, uh, up and coming coach, but not a fit for Notre Dame. What's your short
1: what's your short list?
2: You know, I mean, it's, I still, know, like, evolving. All right, it's hey, still evolving, right? It's still evolving. Jeff Brown's going to be my guy. And I know that yep. people are going to say, well, his records, this, this, and this. And I'd say, look, there's not a lot of people that could have gone for eight with Purdue in 2019 with all the injuries they had. Um, you know, I, and I think fit wise, I think it'd be a great fit. He's an offensive mind. He's a blue collar guy. He's very, very smart Runs sort of a pro style collegiate offense, which yep. that is not a contradictory phrase. That's a, to me, a real thing. Um, and uh, and he grinds on the recruiting trail. I mean, he's gotten some players at Purdue. You're like Purdue doesn't recruit like that. You know, they're getting four star players here and there. And uh, you know, he but he needs to start showing it on the field. You know, they do need to they do need to kind of start winning some games, or he's not going to be a guy that will have a shot. But he's on there. Uh, Matt Campbell has worked. I've been really hesitant with Matt Campbell because I just don't know if he's kind of got that next level personality. But he's really started to impress me um, a- as a guy that I'm looking at. And then. I'm I'm a, I'm anti coach and waiting. I'm anti promoting coordinators to a place like Notre Dame. But I also think you are foolish to always have these these automatics like everyone falls in the same category. I'm really curious to see what Marcus Freeman does these next couple years. I'm more open to the idea of Marcus Freeman as being a coach and waiting than I was Clark Lee. Because I don't think Clark Lee would ever be a dynamic recruiter as a head coach. I completely agree uh, with that. I think Marcus Freeman – a personality for it. Being a dynamic recruiter needs to be like the third or fourth thing on your resume. You need to have you know great coach and all those other things first. But if the recruiting piece, you need to have that at Notre Dame. And, and I don't think Clark Lee has that for a place like Notre Dame. Right. I think Marcus Freeman could. So, again, I'm not saying he is my coach in waiting. I'm not saying I would hire him. I'm it's saying true. he's the, he's one of the few coordinators that I would say – he's on my radar Um, there. And then of course the, the, the game, you know, three years ago, people like, Hey, what about Tom Herman? You know, so the game changes, you know, there's going to be guys coming up and down. I'm not in the, the Jamie Chadwell category. It's coastal Carolina at uh, coastal Carolina. That guy is, has a very unimpressive resume until this past year. So I don't get that one. So there's a lot of these big name young coaches that are not on my radar. I, I, but Jeff Brom is, matt campbell is and marcus freeman is kind of off the top of my head those are the three that i would look at um those are good and of course everyone's going to say you got to call urban meyer but i just
1: you know well at this point no. he's busy yeah <laughs> he's yeah. Not, he's not yeah. uh he's not hosting a, a show uh yeah. you know, on saturday yeah. more so he's right. busy um okay let's see here where do we want to go how about this one from connor could a determined Drew Pine start after Tyler Buckner leaves for the NFL? Remember the free year of eligibility.
2: So the premise is essentially that Tyler Buckner comes and leaves in three years, and then Ty- and then Drew Pine starts, and essentially Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner are both freshmen, is what he's saying. I think it's one um, year. Which is technically true because of the free year. So, Drew Pine technically would, could be considered a freshman this year. We have two years left after Right. That. Potentially, assuming Tyler Buckner leaves. So, yeah, could I see it? Absolutely. Um, I do I too. think that Drew Pine would stay around that long? I, I don't know. I I don't yeah, want to project he's going to leave. He's a smart kid, comes from a great family. He could say, look, I I know who I am. I'm 6-foot, 185-pound quarterback. I'm, I need to make sure I get my Notre Dame degree. Sure. And if that opportunity comes down the road, then I can be a grad transfer somewhere. But by the time he gets to that level, he may that you may know what where Tyler Buckner is. You know, Tyler Buckner may play a little this year, like we hope, and then start in twenty twenty two. And then if he has a good year, like okay, you know, another year of this, and this guy's gone. And then like you said, it could have a couple years of starting left. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I think part of that's going to depend on who Notre Dame signs in in these upcoming next two recruiting classes. Agreed. Uh because if there's another Tyler Buckner coming down the pike, then 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 I don't I don't see that happening. But if Drew Pine is ever Notre Dame starting quarterback, I'm fine with that. Me too. I, I think he's a good football player. But I do think that if you have a guy that has a more dynamic skill set, you always kind of want to go with that guy, assuming he can run the offense. But uh, I, I would never if Drew Pine gets a shot, I, I think he'll be fine. And I think he's a much better quarterback than people realize. Uh, I think some, I think people are too obsessed with size in today's era. I mean, we had back-to-back years when the number one pick at quarterback was a six-foot dude and a five-ten dude. And they're both doing pretty well in the NFL so far. So, the Game has changed. Shotgun has changed the entire way that people should look at quarterbacks.
1: That's a good point because you're away from the line of scrimmage. And those guys aren't getting in your face as much, you know, right. meaning uh, the linemen—they're not in your way. All right, uh, no, a recruiting question from Josh. Could the staff bring in three backs with Evans, Price, and either Hayden or Singleton? That would be –
2: only if you think one of those guys can play somewhere else. And I don't I don't think – he's talking about Zach Evans, I think it's Jadarian Price, and then Dallin Hayden and Nick Singleton. I, I don't think those guys are necessarily guys that could play another position. Maybe slot receiver for a couple of them, but – I think the back. only way you can bring three backs in because you're going to have Chris Tyree is still going to have two two years left. Although when this class shows up, he'll be a junior. You have them. You have the two kids in the 2021 class, Logan Diggs and and uh, Audric Estime, and then you'd have three backs. That's six scholarship backs, wow. and they're talking about bringing in two more tight ends. So you can't have 12 scholarships at two positions, uh, two positions on offense where you're primarily one guy is on the field at those positions. Right. Uh, so I think it'd be tough. And I don't know if they're capable of landing all three of those guys, but look, I'll say this. If they get a combination of any of those two guys, I'm pretty happy about it. Especially if one of those two guys is Dallin Hayden or Nicholas Singleton. But if they get price and Evans, that's a, that's another strong haul. It's I'd still say, I'd like to see them get a little bit more of a high level player, but those are four good running backs. And if you can get a couple of those guys, uh, that would certainly, that would certainly help. And, and, solidify the depth chart because Vince you know me I'm not someone who believes you have to have a five-star running back if right. you have a great offensive line in the right system you can Notre Dame did not lose to Alabama because they had Kyron Williams at running back exactly you know, a three-star player and not a future first-round pick you know he played his butt off and and yep. so I, I I think that would really make for a strong strong running
1: back call if you could get a couple of those guys Brian I've got a bug out Mm-hmm. but i think you've got class yeah, yeah i'm gonna,
2: I I'm gonna stick around try to an, answer some more questions because uh we got a lot of them again today so
1: i, I think the one from maddie k55 is your next one but i, I okay. I'll, I'll, just, I'll let that one go but i want to thank everybody for tuning in i appreciate it i have to go mold some minds uh here at, at my other job uh you know teaching teaching the young ones so uh it's been a lot of fun but uh i don't want to get fired so uh love everybody i don't want and- you to fired either and I will. Uh, we'll talk to you guys. Uh, I'll talk to you guys next time. Uh, we do one of these lives, which I'm really looking forward to. So, Brian, I'll talk to you later, my friend.
2: Thanks, bud. All right. So, Maddie K, I'm here with you. So, Maddie K asks, "I love our receiving core, and as you guys already say, there has to be a philosophy change to get these athletes the ball. Which receiver is going to mesh the best with whoever the QB is, and why? You know, I don't. I don't know if it, if they run the same system they've been running. Then I think what you're looking for is the bigger guys, Kevin Austin, Dion Colsey, um, players like that being what that's that's who's going to mesh well with the quarterbacks, the guys that need the vertical routes, the one on ones and those type of things. If they go to more of a a, an explosive balanced, stop passing game, which is what we've been advocating for, then I think guys like Xavier Watts and Brayden Lindsey and Lorenzo Styles are going to play. And um, they're kind of sending mixed messages on the recruiting trail. Part of me, they see a lot of tight ends being offered, but then they're going after guys like you know, Caden Saunders, and I don't know why you'd recruit him if you're going to run the offense you've been running uh, this past couple seasons. So, um, I I just think it, it's not necessarily about whoever wins the quarterback job. I think that all, all the receivers can fit with whoever wins the quarterback job. It just depends on what system they're running it in. Uh That to me is really going to answer that. I, Matty, if I didn't answer your question, if or if if I didn't take the right angle with it, just ask again, and uh and I'll try to I'll try to answer the way you want it. John A one asks. Uh, do you think Osita Iguanu has a chance to crack the lineup in 2021? If he does, what does he look like in the projected defense? Um, to me, is a guy that, that that I've again I've heard some really good things about from a practice standpoint. He's a really good special teams player for Notre Dame this past year. He's athletic, he's powerful. I think he fits this defense really well. We might have mentioned this on a previous show. Uh, I know Vince and I have talked about it, and sometimes we kind of okay, did we talk about this and off the air or did we talk about it on the air? But uh, he's one of the guys that I think projects even better in in the Marcus Freeman defense than he did the Clark Lee defense because he can be a thumper, but he's also really ranging athletic, uh, and that's kind of the ideal position you want. Is you don't want necessarily a pure Mike that can only play tackle to tackle. You want a guy that's got some range, some coverage ability, and I think Osita has that. But he's also physical and he can play inside, so I could see him playing Mike or the Will spot in this defense. So. Will he have a chance to crack the lineup in 2021? That's going to be a little tougher because there's so many established players. You've got Drew White and Bo Bauer of Mike. You've got Shane Simon. You've got uh, Maris at, at, and Jack Kaiser, depending on what he does. But I think in a, in a two years, potentially maybe so uh, because you're going to lose Drew White and some other guys may not pan out, but look, you've got a new linebacking coach, linebacker coach. And that is always opportunities for guys to, to make that fresh mark. So uh, it, do I think he'll do it? I'm not going to predict it because he's buried so deep right now, but if he did it, John, I wouldn't be shocked because I think he's a really good football coach. Uh, John also asks who returns punts in 2021. Um, I would imagine Lawrence Keys is going to get a shot. I'd like to see Lorenzo Styles get a shot as well. Those are those are two guys that I'd like to see, but there's also going to be some walk-on somewhere that they'll find that can catch the ball that will get an opportunity to to do that as well uh sgcs are head coaches only as good as their assistant coaches um yeah I, I think so i think there's something to that i think that look you can be a great coach but great coaches value surrounding themselves with other great coaches they understand that lou holtz was really good at that and i think if you study his career as his as the quality of his assistant coaches went down so did his success because you can't coach everybody the head coach has to set the tone. He has to set the agenda. He has to set the the philosophy, the the culture of the team, and then he needs to hire the best people he can to carry it out. I think Urban Meyer has shown that. He's he surrounded himself with brilliant coaches throughout his career. Nick Saban understands that, uh, that you need great coaches around you because, you, again, if you're coaching the defense, you can't then be coaching the offense. If you then walk over the offense, you can't be coaching the defense. You need to surround yourself with great coaches. And so, yeah, I would say he's only as good, but I think that's – I would take that as a positive. I I don't, I mean, look, I'm a Denver Bronco fan, right? And you go back and look at, you know, when Mike Shanahan, I think he's a brilliant head coach, but part of the success he had is because he had, he had a great offensive line coach. He had a great offensive coordinator, Gary Kubiak. He had one of the best running back coaches in the business and Bobby Taylor or Bobby Turner. So um, I think you needed that. And I think the great coaches understand that. And if you don't have great assistance, then that's going to limit your ability. And that's why I get so hard on Brian, Coach Kelly, when he does make, hires that I feel are beneath what he could have done or should have done it 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 can frustrate you because you know that uh, this guy's a good coach just like you have a good quarterback but to win a championship you need a great quarterback or a great offensive line coach or a great defensive coordinator and so I think he needs to do that and I think he needs to hire more people that are that are from the outside simply because hiring more people that bring different voices, different viewpoints, different backgrounds, and also people that might be maybe a little bit more willing to challenge him and and get him out of his comfort zone. Cause I don't think Brian Kelly on offense, especially really likes being out of his comfort zone a whole lot. So yeah, I think, I think we got everything here guys. So I think that is going to wrap it up. So unless anyone has any more questions uh, that is going to do it for this episode of the Irish breakdown mailbag. So we will be back every Friday. Uh, we'll be back next Friday again for uh, for the show. It's going to be around one o'clock every time. We'll try to fit it in in an hour because Vince is on a little bit of a of a time crunch. But if as long as you guys have questions, we'll keep rolling with it. So we appreciate you guys being here. Um, and also, look, here's something we're also going to request from you all. We are obviously setting up our schedule for the spring and for the summer on content but we want to hear from you guys. What are things you'd like for us to discuss? What are some articles you'd like to see me write about? What are some, some topics you'd like to hear us to to, to discuss or debate uh, on the podcast and then on the YouTube channel. So uh, the whole, the goal of this is not to necessarily write stuff that I like to write about, which is going to be a part of it, but I want to write and we want to produce stuff that you're interested in and that you have questions about, or you'd like to learn about, or you'd maybe even like to challenge us about. So if you have those, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, hit me up on our Facebook group, the, the Irish Breakdown Notre Dame fan page. Uh, leave a question in one of our YouTube videos or email. Shoot me an email. My email is about as easy as you can be. It's brian at irishbreakdown.com. So uh, any way you want to leave a question, leave it, and we'll try to get to it. But for, for Vince and Brian, hope you guys have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you again soon.